Well, this morning and for the next few weeks, uh, we'd like to uh, talk about the church. And we did talk about some last week, and we're not, by God's grace, not going to get any rest or any really lengthy ones. We'll just break it up where we, where we need to. But last week, we did talk a little about the church, and, and we really just wanted to establish, and, and we're not going to answer everything with every sermon. Hopefully, we'll have little pieces that will fit together. Things that you already know, but yet uh, maybe we'll have it, a little better knowledge that we may uh, uh, talk to others as they uh, would question this. So last week we talked about the church, and really we just wanted to establish that there were multiple churches, not just one big church that just kept growing, kept going. It's, it's multiple bodies of Christ, and we even took my own genealogy, which I can't trace back very far, but my brother traced it back. But Linda, he traced it back to our great-great-grandfather, John. Uh, and uh, so from John, and John had children, and then we have Emmanuel, who was our great-grandfather, and he had children, and one of them was Mont, and then from Mont was my dad, Richard, and then from Richard, it's... Uh, uh, Linda, myself, and my brother, uh, Eddie. And uh, so these, I, I, as far as I can go back with John, but John is, I look at as, as still the head of these other bodies that came down through. We don't just have somebody just pop up out of nowhere. They're, they're connected back. And, uh, of course, we would all connect back to Adam and Eve, of course. But... Uh, so we wanted to show that it is different bodies. I'm a body. Linda's a body. And we didn't just come out of nowhere. We'll go back to, as far as I can go, the head. But uh, John, as far as I can go back, but he was kind of the head of all these bodies that came after him. So we wanted to show that, uh, use that as a church, we are, there are bodies of Christ. They don't just come out of thin air, and they go back to the first church at Jerusalem, and the first church at Jerusalem did grow, of course, but it didn't just, the first church at Jerusalem, just grow and grow and grow and grow, and now that's what we have today. They're individual bodies today, and it did start with the first church uh, in Jerusalem. And there are many, we'll probably bring out some things on that as we uh, continue on this study. But uh, we'll, there's many things that show us that there are other bodies of Christ as we talked back then. Uh, people were added to uh, the church and so forth. So this morning starting out, again, we, we want, things we want to look at as far as the church. What, what, just what is it? When was it formed? What was, the, what was the purpose of it? Is it important? What material was it made out of? Is it a local church or a universal big church? We'll talk about baptism as we, Lord willing, as we continue in this study. We want to talk about authority. Uh, what authority the, the church does or doesn't have. We want to talk about the priesthood. 
you know, you can read a lot about the priesthood in the Old Testament, but we want to talk about uh, the priesthood as we look at the New Testament church. We want to talk about the comforter and the role that the comforter plays in his church. And calling into, we want to talk about that. Uh, the, the Lord calls into uh, his body and his church. And we want to talk about that and, and what that looks like, how that takes place. And then we'll talk about the way of worship. The way of worship is certainly different than it was in the Old Testament. Uh, I think we'd be very foolish to think that there was not a different way of worship. Same God, of course, but a different way of worship. In the Old Testament, they offered literal bulls and goats and so forth. And in the New Testament church, uh, that is not what we are uh, commanded to do. So these are some things we want to touch on the next few weeks. But let's just start out, what is the church? And we'll go back, the, the Greek word for the church is ekklesia. And ekklesia is, it comes from two different words. So two different words make up this ekklesia. And the definition of the first word uh, that makes up the ekklesia is origin. So that, that tells us something, doesn't it? Uh, the point which motion or action proceeds. So that's part of this word that makes up ecclesia. That's one of the words that makes up ecclesia. Origin. We want to keep that in mind. The point from which uh, motion or action comes out of. That's very important. So the origin and the action from out, that's one of the words that combined makes the word up the word ecclesia. The second word, uh, be pronounced something like kalio, uh, means to call, to bid, to call forth, to hail, as they hail a cab in New York, I guess. I was in New York once, and uh, that was an interesting experience for me. Uh, cabs, rides, and everything was experienced in New York, right? <laughs> okay, to an old country boy anyway. So, uh, or insight by word, command, or order. So, we take these two words together uh, to call or to bid or, or to call forth. Call, call out of something, call forth. And the other word, origin, the point from which uh, action or motion uh, proceeds from. So, that's the two words that makes up uh, ecclesia. And the actual definition of ecclesia, so after you put those two words together, we have a definition for ecclesia, and it means calling out. Calling out from something into something. A, and other meanings, it, it's uh, calling out, it also means uh, uh, a meeting especially a religious meeting, which we can understand, a congregation or assembly or a church. So that's the definition of the word ecclesia, where it comes from these other two Greek words. So there's action proceeds out of this ecclesia. The action mode proceeds out. And then there's a calling 
from out to in. So the action proceeds, goes out, but proceeds from there. And then there's a calling, calling out of something out there. So that's kind of the, the, uh, the definition of it. And uh, we'll see more as we, as we go into this, uh, as, as we look at it, and uh, we see the actions, where it comes from, and, and what the action is, and so forth. But then there arises another uh, question. Well, and Acts talks about the church in the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness. So some believe that we had a church in the wilderness and uh, of Israel and just comes right on up through and continues into the, into the New Testament times. That that's the, the church. But the church in the wilderness, and, and it's okay to use that terminology, the church in the wilderness is different from the one that's described in the New Testament. It, it is not the same, and we will, we'll talk about that. The old, well, let me just say this. The Old Testament was the wife of God. New Testament will be the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see, a, a, and there's a different way of worship, as I mentioned. In the Old Testament, now, the Old Testament, they were a, a called out people, which would meet the definition of that. The word ecclesia doesn't apply there, but they are called out people, called out in two, so we can see uh, the similarities there. But certainly there's a different way of worship. They had a literal priesthood, tribe of Levi, seed of Aaron. And they had, uh, they offered up literal bulls and goats and oxen and so forth. That was their way of worship, commanded of God. Many, many, many other things, of course. So as we look at, as we look at when the church was started, I, I think this uh, thoughts on the ch church in the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness, we'll see that it didn't just transfer over into the New Testament. It, it is different, and we'll see that as we go on. So when was the church started? And it did start out a church, singular. And then there was other bodies from that, but it started out a church, singular. So when, when did it start? And I've always uh, been, I start to say guilty, but knowing when something really started, you know, uh, impartation of, of our life and so forth. But when did the church really start? And uh, again, some say, well, it was, it was in the Old Testament. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, to show, again, to begin to show, as we look at when the, when the church started, that it would be different. It didn't just continue from the Old Testament through New Testament times. So Ephesians chapter 2. And 19. Again, we'll still have, we're not going to answer every question uh, each week. Hopefully, as we put these, uh, this series together, then it will begin to see how it all fits together and makes sense. Ephesians 2 and 19. 
let me say something before I read this. It doesn't have a connection to this. I want to bring this into every thought and every message if I can. Some say the, the church is not important. You can just worship anywhere, do whatever. The church is not important. And I'll say, well, then why did Jesus Christ shed his blood for his church? That puts a value on it. I, we can, should never say the church is not important. We want to understand clear what the church is. But Jesus Christ, Terry, died and shed blood for his church. We don't want to say, well, it doesn't make any difference. We don't want to say that. Okay. Hopefully I'll bring that point out in every message. Now let's go to 19. So we're wanting to figure out when the church kind of started, where it didn't start, and so forth. Ephesians 2 and 19. Now therefore... Ye are no more strangers and sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together, for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So there's a lot there, and we may come back to it a little bit. But it talks about chief cornerstone here. And we'll, we'll probably come back and talk about the foundation of the apostles and so forth like that if we have time. But it talks about chief cornerstone. And we know the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. We know he's eternal, of course. But that chief cornerstone wasn't in place in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ hadn't come as, as uh, that office at that time. He came born of a virgin. Now, he's, he's, yes, he's eternal. But as the chief cornerstone wasn't in place in the Old Testament. So it's, it's not, uh, it wasn't in place. So the chief cornerstone has to be in place. You can't start building a building without a foundation, without a chief cornerstone. So here we see that the, the church is built upon a foundation, a chief cornerstone. And again, we'll talk about the apostles and stuff there, which may raise another question. But uh, that chief cornerstone wasn't in place in the Old Testament. So the, the church in the wilderness is not the same as the church of Jesus Christ in New Testament times. Now let's go to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, see a little more here, some more uh, pieces. 1 Peter chapter 2, and maybe I'll share a little later uh, what the Lord used to, uh, to work in me to cause me to, to work in me to will and to cause me to have a desire to be a member of the church. We'll talk about that sometime, maybe not this morning. But there was something particular that he used. And, uh, okay, so First Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envyings and all evil speaking... As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that ye may grow by it. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 
And let me just pause there for a moment. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? When you taste that, like a babe desiring pure milk of the word, you, you can't get enough of it. If you tasted that he's gracious, unmerited favor of God, not something that you earned, unmerited favor of God, if you tasted he's gracious, and, and I didn't always, certainly always didn't taste that. As I've told you my early studies, I thought, well, okay, I'll just start reading Genesis 1-1, and I got up into the Mosaic Law and everything. I didn't see the grace in it. I saw laws, literal laws, commandments, and ordinances. And I didn't, now grace is there, but I didn't see it. But once you, and again, I wanted to run from it. But once you've tasted the Lord is gracious, you want more and more of that milk of the word. Uh, okay, where did I stop? Um, let me just read three again. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as into a living stone, disallowed this, this indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So Jesus Christ is this living stone. This, by the way, this is a, the church is a spiritual building. We have a building here. Sometimes I may call it the church building. It's a place where the church uh, has, uh, uh, is, is meeting. But the church, uh, this is not the church made of this. But it's made up of living stone. And to whom coming as into a living stone. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God. So Jesus Christ was disallowed of men. They, when Jesus Christ came, uh, Israel as a whole or as a nation, well, they crucified him. <laughs> they didn't think he was the chief cornerstone. They crucified him. They hated him. Disallowed of men. And I've told you before, I'm not a stone layer, brick layer, or anything, but I've laid just a little bit of stone. If you do just a little bit, of, now I'm not talking about bricks and, and cement blocks, which are all supposed to be the same size and everything, but if you just got random stones and you're building with it, you, you'll start out and you'll say, well, you'll pick up this stone. You may pick up several when you start out and you say, oh, this doesn't fit here. Oh, you'll lay it aside. You'll get some other stone. Oh, this fits. And you may pick up another stone again. Ah, it just doesn't seem to fit. You lay it aside and get more. So, Jesus Christ, this stone, disallowed indeed of men, didn't seem to fit. Well, he's not of God. He's of Beelzebub. He heals people on the Sabbath. He's a wine bibber. Didn't fit what they thought should be disallowed of men. Okay. Uh, for again, to whom coming as into a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, the Lord's church is made up of living stones. He takes them. He calls them. Now, 
we're talking about calling out, but he from within calls the action, and, but he calls them and places them in the body where he sees fit to place them. Uh, again, maybe disallowed of men. But you're living stones, part of the body of Christ, part of his church. And well, we may get into it later, but say that I believe this with all my heart. Every member of the Lord's church is valuable. Every one of them. And it talks about even, even some of the weak being, um, or more comely being, uh, but anyway. But every one of them, and just to give an example, get off my text again. I remember many years ago, I would ask Brother Olson questions. And uh, you think, well, how could you contribute to the church back then to the body? I'd ask Olson questions. I wasn't giving him knowledge I was just asking questions but wouldn't be long he would teach on that question and I would assume that others benefited from that and I've often thought I could I could have benefited the church more then even than I do now and the same this continues I've had other people uh, a, a lot actually ask questions to me and a lot of times I like to study it maybe on the back burner for a little while, study it, and bring it out. So that person that asks a question benefits the whole body as the Lord reveals things to us, and we teach on that, and we talk about it. So every member of the Lord's church is valuable. After all, he died for them too. So uh, don't ever think that you're not valuable. Don't ever look on someone as they're not valuable. Uh, okay. Uh, five, ye also as living stones build up a spiritual house, holy priesthood. We'll talk about that more later. To offer up spiritual sacrifices. We don't offer up the blood of bulls and goats. We don't give atonement money when we're 20 years old. We don't give atonement money. Uh, uh, the, the atonement money went into the building of the tabernacle. And I'm not saying we don't give, but I'm talking about atonement money as they were, it says atonement money as atonement for your souls. And they would give that and it was used in the, uh, the tabernacle, the, the gold and silver and things like that. Uh, but it says we offer up spiritual sacrifices. So we don't offer the blood of bulls and goats and things like that. It's spiritual sacrifices. And I think Hebrew says, let us, by him, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So that's a sacrifice that, that we offer. Uh, okay, verse 6. Wherefore, also, it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So, he says, I'm going to lay a, a, a chief cornerstone. That's what he says, I lay a chief cornerstone. You can't have the Lord's church without the chief cornerstone in place. 
the chief cornerstone wasn't in place in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus Christ is eternal. I'm not saying that. He's eternal. But as the chief cornerstone, he was not in place in the Old Testament. So we don't want to get the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness, confused with the New Testament church or body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then... Uh, Verse 7, unto you, therefore, who believeth, he is precious. But unto them who are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the chief of the corner. So if he's caused you to see and believe, he is precious to you. To those that believe that your salvation is dependent upon you, well, he's disallowed. What, what purpose is he? If your salvation is dependent upon you, what purpose is Jesus Christ? So he's not precious to them. They may talk nice about him with their lips, but the heart is far from him. Uh, unto you, therefore, who believe he is precious, but unto them who are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them who stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And in verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a Royal priesthood. That's, that's something different as well. The priesthood was not in the line of royalty in the Old Testament. Had the David, the line of royalty, priesthood was Levitical priesthood. So, uh, but here, New Testament, it is different. These priests are in, uh, uh, have a royalty and inheritance. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a, your Bible may say peculiar, but a people of his own. That word peculiar means a, a purchased people. If he purchased you, you are a people of his. And, and that's what that word peculiar, I didn't look it up in the Greek again this time, but, but that peculiar, that's what it means, a, a purchased people. So you're a people of his own, not that you're odd, although... The world would look at it as odd, of course, but uh, a holy nation, a people of his own, that, in other words, the purpose, that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And boy, we could study a long time on this, uh, this verse. We won't. I do want to bring out, you see, called out. You remember part of our definition of ecclesia? Who hath called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. So there's a good picture of ecclesia. Called you, the, the, the call comes from within, but he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this is, this is again, part of the definition of the ecclesia. You were called out into this marvelous light. 
So, 1 Corinthians says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Living stones. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, you're going to have a rough time, by God's grace, you're going to have a rough time convincing me that the church is not important. Well, you can just worship anywhere. Now, as far as any location, of course. But the worship in darkness? The answer is no. Ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Somebody said, well, you know, the body is in the Old Testament. Could we say Jesus Christ was the head back there? Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, was not put in place at that particular time. So, yes, it talks about the church in the wilderness. But it's not the same church. There was a called out assembly, a called out people of Israel, of course. But it's different than the New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the, he's, he's the chief cornerstone. He's also the head. It is the body of Christ. Uh, <laughs> in the, we won't go back there either. In Ephesians, it says, Jesus Christ, head of the body, the church. Pretty plain. Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. That's where it all comes from. It is the body of Christ, and you and I are members of that body. He called us out. He placed us in. In the, same, in, in the time that he has ordained. I, uh, Lou, I can remember Brother Alston and uh, the day or the night, I think night, that Rondo came forward for baptism. And I remember Olson saying, I, I can't quote him exactly, but something about we don't know the reasons why the Lord, because he, was, he wasn't a small child, he was a full-grown man and everything, why the Lord uh, waited that long. But the Lord will bring his sheep in in the time that he has appointed. We don't, we don't, oh, we can't tell, we don't always know, Buddy and I was talking this morning. As we, the Lord causes us to witness to people, we don't know if it's one of the Lord's sheep or not. And we'll say, I say, confessing, well, they'll never believe. And it's probably true, but we don't know that. And I thought that, didn't he? Well, that Saul Tarsus, he, he's, he's not one. He'll never believe. So we don't know that. Uh, so Ephesians, Jesus Christ, head of the body, the church. And you are members in particular part of the body of Christ, the comely and the uncomely, every one. So I believe that we can see the church, which is the body of Christ, and he is the head. Not the same as what was in the Old Testament. It's different. Different way of worship. The church began after the chief cornerstone was put in place. Some believe that the church started on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a valuable and important day. 
But some believe the church was started on the day of Pentecost. But if you study this out, you'll see that that's not the case. The scripture declares many were added to the church. That was before the day of Pentecost. So the church was already in place. Uh, so when do I think the church was started? Like I said, I'd like to go back to the very point. Now, on this... I'm not dogmatic if this is the actual time, and, and, and I would be open for discussion on other times that maybe you think, but this is what, this is what I feel is the beginning of the church. And we'll read it in, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I think we read this recently, actually, but we'll look at it again. Gospel of John, chapter 1. I think this is when the church uh, actually began. John 1, of course we know, had to have the chief cornerstone there. Uh, John 1 and 35, and again the next day John, this is John the Baptist, stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So John was there, some of his disciples, they saw Jesus walking, and he said to his disciples, Behold, Lamb of God. And boy, there's a lesson in that as well. Uh, and the two disciples heard him, and the two disciples heard. They, had, they was alive, they had hearing ears. And the two disciples heard him speak, and when they followed Jesus. So they heard, they followed. 38, then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? That was, as I mentioned again just recently, kind of an odd question. I, I can think of a million questions to ask the Lord. They said, Where do you dwell? And listen to his answer. He saith unto them, Come and see. It's a calling. They came and saw. So he said, come and see. What was the result of that? He said, come and see. What was the result? They came and saw. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. It was about the, uh, the tenth hour. So, I believe this was the beginning of the church. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, was in place. He called. And he said, come and see. He called. They came and they saw. And they abode. To me, this is the beginning of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would be open. If you had some other scriptures that may be slightly different, you think at a little different time, I'd be open to that. But this is what I believe. Uh, and you might say, well, what about in Matthew 16, he was talking to Peter. He said, there are Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. So some thinks it was, it was, it was then, and some thinks it was built uh, on, uh, on Peter. But there when he said that, 
uh, thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. He wasn't telling him when he built it, but on what he was building it. Not the time, but on what he was building it. So Peter does mean a, a little piece of rock, but Jesus Christ is the, is the mass of rock. And he, when he was talking to Peter, he didn't say, well, you're Peter, and on you I'll build my church. That's not what he said. It's not what it means. Many, many believe that. But he says, Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, upon myself, upon Jesus Christ, I'll build my church. So the church built on him, the chief cornerstone, wasn't built on Peter. So, uh, it's again, it's something to, to discuss. That's just how I feel about it. As far, now, I'm sure it wasn't built on Peter, but I'm talking about uh, when, he, when he called those two disciples. He, he called, he said, come and see. They came and saw an abode. I believe that's the beginning of the church. And I'd be delighted to hear other scriptures you feel maybe it would be. But it wasn't built on Peter. Uh, and uh, we read in, in Ephesians. Let's, let's go back there again. We'll, we'll probably have to, to quit with this. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, because that can be confusing as well. Ephesians 2 and uh, well, verse start 19. Uh, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You say, so it was built on the apostles. That's really not what it says. It was built on the apostles' foundation. And let me ask you this. What is your foundation? What's well, Jesus Christ? What was their foundation? Jesus Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't built on them. It was built on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. That's what it was built on. Now, they were certainly building material, as you are building material, incorporated into the body of Christ. <laughs> so it was built on the foundation. Uh, <clears throat> scripture says, for no other foundation can man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's the foundation. They're building material as you're building material. But when it says built upon their foundation, their foundation was Jesus Christ. It wasn't built on them. So who laid the foundation? Of course, it was, it was God the Father laid the foundation of, of Jesus Christ and the chief cornerstone. Uh, we're running out of time. So the church was not built on the apostles. It was built, they were, they were building material, and they were the first uh, of the building material to be built on the foundation of, of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think maybe we're going to have to <clears throat> close with that. Uh, 
there are many places in the Bible that talks about the church or ecclesia where the word church is not actually used, but it's still talking about it. <clears throat> and uh, uh, maybe I'll just mention it. in Ephesians that talk about uh, uh, made us set together in heavenly places. And heavenly places. And then in the, I think it's the fifth or sixth chapter said that uh, uh, we fight against spiritual wickedness in high places. So that high places and heavenly places called us, he called us into these, made us set together in heavenly places is the same word, high places, heavenly places. The word church is not used there. If you take that high place and heavenly places and study it through, through the Old Testament, you'll see that high places was a term used as a place of worship. It was even used as a place of false worship. So the terminology high places was a place of worship. So in Ephesians there, it said he's made us set together in heavenly places. He's talking about the church, the high place, the place of worship. The word church is not used, but that's certainly what it's talking about. Talking about. Uh, we can read in the Old Testament where uh, uh, Solomon went to Gibeon there and offered this uh, these sacrifice. Said for it was a great high place, a place of worship appointed by God. And even uh, Abraham, when he was supposed to offer Isaac, God said, "Go offering." But it was on a particular place, not just a mountain range, but a particular place to offer him. Well, what difference does it make? Well, that's God. <laughs> he was to offer him on a particular high place. And then that's, again, that can show us that you, can't, you don't worship just anywhere. You don't offer sacrifice just anywhere. I'm not talking about the lo physical location. But he told Abraham, remember it was a three-day journey, and in Abraham's mind he was... His son was dead three days and three nights. We see uh, what it's uh, t the teaching there. But he said on one, a particular place is where he was supposed to offer him. And today, the sacrifices that we talked about, sacrifice of praise, fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, is to be offered in a particular place in the body of Christ. And we'll see that more as we go along. But... Uh, well, let me, get, let me say this. Uh, again, Hebrews says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. How do we do that? By him. We, we wouldn't do that. By him, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's our sacrifice. That's what we offer. By him, we offer an acceptable sacrifice. And I like what it says in, in Jose. Maybe you'll have time to read it today in the 14th chapter, but it talks about there. Come to him with words. And we would offer the calves of our lips. They offered literal calves and bulls and goats. But we would come, and it, it, even this is the Old Testament. He said, bring words, offer the calves of your lips.
So in the Lord's true churches today, as living stones, as part of a royal priesthood, we offer up a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. By him, we offer the calves of our lips, giving thanks to his name, not the man. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We are dismissed.